Father, thank you for our time today. Thank you for uh, worship, great worship that we've had. Thank you, Lord, that we can sing from the bottom of our heart that you are worthy. There is no one like you. And when we come, we bow down only before you. Father, we're going to see in your word today that it's really easy to get distracted and it's really easy to get our eyes on other stuff and off Jesus, on people and off the one who died for us on a cross. And so, Father, we pray that you would be with us as we look at your word. Teach us as only you can do. We come from a lot of different situations this week. Rick has shared with us some challenges that he's had. Many people have gone through those same things. We thank, Lord, in particular of the Vilsacks who lost their son this week and a heart's break for them. And we pray, Lord, that you would be near to them and that you would minister to them in a very specific way. There may be others, Lord, had the same thing go on in their life, Lord. You know who they are, and I pray that you would uh, just uh, allow them to experience your presence with them today. Lord, we come. We want to hear from you. Uh, break open the hard parts of our heart and uh, uh, open the, the hidden parts of our heart and help us, Lord, to, to leave differently than we came. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Take your phones your smart tablets or your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, as we continue to work our way through this uh, uh, great book, this letter that Paul wrote to this church in Corinth, a lot of issues going on in Corinth. We saw last week Paul's introduction. Today we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. In that passage, we're going to see how easy it is to get our focus on people and on things instead of on Jesus. That's going to be our takeaway today, keeping our focus on Jesus. Let me set the context before we start looking at this passage. First of all, you remember Paul founded the church in Corinth on his second missionary journey. He had been in Asia. He went all the way north. He went over to Europe. Philippi, where the first convert uh, became a Christian in, uh, in uh, uh, Europe, a lady named uh, Lydia. He then went down south into Greece, and he is there in uh, Athens. Acts 17 talks all about that, and then Acts 18 talks about Paul being in Corinth. Paul went to Corinth. He saw and met these two people, Aquila and Priscilla, husband and wife business. Uh, they were entrepreneurs. They were tent makers. In that day, tents were very important. We have a great industry of tents as well today. In that day, they were used for overnight accommodations, either to rent or to buy, so you could stay in a very reasonable rate, didn't have hotels. The inns of that day were basically houses of prostitution. A lot of traffic going through Corinth, two seaports. They had the Isthmus Games uh, every other year. So you have all these people going through. So Aquila and Priscilla probably had a lot of business, people renting and, uh, and, uh, and buying tents. And so they would repair tents, they would make tents. Every Jewish boy learned a trade. Paul ended up being a Pharisee, right? He was a lawyer of that day, but he also had to learn a trade, and his trade was tent making. And so he finds Aquila and Priscilla, and he joins them in their business, and uh, he stays in there in Corinth for a year and a half. And no doubt, uh, when people came and uh, got their tents repaired or bought tents, Paul would tell them appropriately about Jesus. He did that uh, through his uh, occupation, his vocation. And every Sabbath, he would go to the synagogue and he would tell people about Jesus, Jews or Gentiles. There was one uh, Jewish synagogue leader, a well-known guy, 
big name who became a Christian during that time. His name was Crispus. And uh, with the, this Jewish leader becoming a Christian and other people becoming Christians, Paul began to feel like uh, he was a little nervous. Maybe nervous for his life, maybe nervous for persecution, but it's interesting in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. And we talked about fear this morning, right? Paul was afraid sometimes. He said, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or do harm to you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So Paul stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now fast forward five to seven years, we're not for sure. Paul is now on his third missionary tour. He is in Ephesus, and in Ephesus, while he is there, he stayed in Ephesus probably about three years, and while he's there, a group from Corinth comes to say, Paul, we are in an absolute mess. It is terrible. We got things going on there that even the pagans don't approve of. We got marriage issues. We got sexual immorality issues. We got, um, we got uh, people who are proud of their gifts and they're looking down their noses at other believers. Paul, we need help. We got people showing up drunk or getting drunk at communion. It's a mess. And Paul, one thing, there are divisions among us. And so that's the first thing that Paul hits, these divisions that are in the church of Corinth. Look at verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you, I exhort you, I urge you. And it's interesting, right at the beginning, he says brothers. That's generic. That means brothers and sisters. That's a word Paul uses for fellow believers. So he's talking to believers. Remember in chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, when he introduces the book, before he addressed any issue, he said, don't forget who you are, even in your failure. You are called. God called you to himself. God set you apart for himself. God gifted you. And God is going to present you blameless before the throne because of what Jesus did for you, not because of what you've done for yourself. And so he's still calling them brothers, but he said, look, I got some issues we got to deal with. The first one's division. There can't be any divisions among you. Let there be no divisions among you. In the church of Corinth, there were cliques. Imagine that. From the youth group to the sage group. Imagine that. There were in-groups, particular in-groups, popular Christian in-groups. And some were looking from the outside saying, we just don't fit in. There's no place for us in Corinth. Feeling alone in community. If they lived today, they would say, a bunch of people have Facebook and Instagram followers, and some have few. Social media is interesting, has a way of telling people, right? Isn't it interesting? Social media has a way of telling th people through pictures and videos, you're in and you're not. You're cool and you're not. I spoke with a con very concerned mother uh, this past week, and just, just the way the conversations and messaging was going on back and forth with... Uh, with her friends, friends and teenage daughter. There were new ways to hurt people today, right? We can just do it with our thumbs on the phone. Not to say we don't hurt people face to face. We still do that. But it's much easier from a distance. 
Paul, Paul didn't use the word click or in-groups or, or followers. He used the Greek word schismazo. We get the word schism from it. It means to, it means to break, to rupture, to fracture. Again, here he translates it divisions. He said there is divisions among you. And Corinth had a lot of opportunity for divisions. Remember, it is a hustling and bustling city. There are Jews there, there are Gentiles there, and Jews and Gentiles don't get along. So there were racial issues as these people came into church. Who's going to stand next to a Jew? Who's going to stand next to a Gentile? There were economic issues. Some people were very wealthy, some people scraping by. The wealthy looked down their noses at those scraping by, and the poor were jealous of the rich. I know this doesn't happen today, but here we go. In Corinth, we got all these issues going on. There were, there were uh, social issues. Remember, there are a thousand temple prostitutes. We can only imagine some of them came to Christ. Do you want your family sitting behind a prostitute at church when you gather together? There were slaves, and there were free. Does a slave dare sit next to a freedman? The Corinthians were known for their drinking, so I'm sure there were some drug addicts that had come to Christ. How do we all fit in? How do we do this thing together? And Paul says, I'm learning that there are like these, all these divisions among you. And I appeal to you to stop it. <laughs> Let Jesus be the focus, not people. Let Jesus be the focus, not a person's past, because we all have our pasts. Paul says here, first point, unity is always centered on Jesus. Unity is always centered on Jesus period the end when we got our eyes on other people when we got our eyes on other things this unity will result unity is always focused on Jesus and so Paul says I appeal to you believers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ one commentator says it like this I appeal to you based on everything Jesus means to us He's it. So let's go back to him. And let's make sure, he says, you know, I, I know you're going to agree with that. I know you're going to agree that Jesus means a lot to us. He's our Savior. So I'm appealing to you that you be united in the same mind, same thinking, even though you're different people, different backgrounds, different races, same mind, and same judgment. And that word here is purpose. The same purpose. Now, for the church at large, right, the big C church, our purpose is given to us by Jesus himself in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and the whole I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So if we look at the church, big C, that's our commission right there from the, from, from the mouth of Jesus. As we look at churches, little C's like us, every church is going to have 
a different purpose. We're in different areas. We're, we, 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 we target, we address different people, different demographics live around us. And so if you look at your program, we have in here, just to make sure we're all on the same page, thinking the same thing, have the same purpose, our mission, our vision, our values. I'm going to take just a second to go through that. First of all, our mission is this. We exist to develop followers of Jesus Christ, period, and here in the South Hills, greater Pittsburgh area, and throughout the world. The word develop means to bring into reality, so that includes the non-believer who does not yet know Christ. The word develop means to make stronger. That includes the believer who should be growing in their walk with Christ. And that's our mission. That's what we do, develop followers of Christ. But after the what, we have to ask, why would we do that? Why do we do that? Here's the why, our vision. We want all seekers Anyone seeking Jesus in our network here, right? In our, look around, in our network. Anyone in our network who's seeking Jesus to find him. And we want to be the privileged person who gets to do that. So if you're a teenager and you're in high school or you're in junior high, wouldn't it be cool if every person in your school heard the gospel from another teenager? Wouldn't it be cool in your workplace if you appropriately shared the gospel and if every believer in your workplace heard the gospel from another believer? How about your neighborhood? How about uh, those rec people you coach with? How about your network of family and friends? Our mission is to make sure that people find Jesus. Now, in order to do that, part of our vision is we've got to be growing deeper. Seekers find Jesus, believers grow deeper. We've got to be serious about it, not as a hobby, but we have to be serious and urgent about this message, we, message of eternal life we have. And then finally, we want everyone, we want everyone who walks through those doors. Remember, just think of Corinth. Prostitutes, drug addicts, people struggling with all kinds of sin. They walked in the doors. And their sin, it wasn't like, okay, you're good, keep on sinning. It was let me introduce you to the person who can transform your life. But first, they had to be comfortable enough to what? To walk in the doors. And so we want to be a church where every person experiences community and care. Our values, if you've been around, you've heard these a lot, our five essentials, word, worship, connect, serve, share. We want everybody to be in the word daily. We want everyone to be honoring the Lord with their life. That's called worship. We want everyone to have healthy Christian relationships. It's connection. We want everyone to use their gift that God has given them, and we want everyone to tell others about Jesus. So that's our purpose. That's our mission. That's our uh, values for everyone in our church, right? And let me emphasize this. It has to be our mission as we capture the next generation to do the things we need to do, not to miss our children and our students. When this church was started back in 1964, there were two high school teachers in that beginning seven couples. And those high school teachers had a love for Jesus Christ and they had a desire to see students come to know him. So they started a Bible study, I'm told, on Wednesday nights in their home. I don't know what night it was. 
maybe it wasn't Wednesday, it was the night of the week, okay? And they came to their home, and I'm told that there would be a hundred students going throughout the hallways and in the dining room and in the living room of this home, and they would teach them the word of God. Many students trusted in Christ. And then on Saturday mornings, one of the founders of the church, he had about 50 kids over to his house on a Saturday morning to disciple them, to help them grow deeper in their walk with Christ. Our church has in its DNA ministry to youth. And we're not going to lose that. We're going to make sure that we're a church that knows the next generation and that captures the next generation. We want to make sure all we do speaks to the generation that's coming behind us. Let me give you an example. If you study church history and the history of our church, you'll find that music has always been a debated topic. Do you believe that? It's always been a debated topic. C.H. Spurgeon said in 1860, he was a pastor at a church in London, he said, when Satan fell, he fell into the choir loft. Because music's always been debated. And so every week, every, every week, someone thinks the music's too loud. It's not loud enough. It is too fast. When are you going to speed things up? Too many new songs. Are you serious? When are you finally going to sing a song that's on Caleb? Every week. Never going to please everyone, right? But we will not lose the next generation. Mature believers are the ones that will sacrifice the most. I want to say it again. Mature believers are the ones who will sacrifice the most because that's what mature believers do. We invest time. We invest money in things that we will never enjoy ourselves because we want to make sure that another generation comes, has the same privilege, has the same opportunities that we have had. That's what we do in our homes, isn't it? When our kids are there, they make messes. And we invest time into them, and we take care of them, and we nurture them. When our grandkids are there, Lori and I do things we normally don't do. We normally don't play duck, duck, goose. It's a grandkid. Well, sometimes we do, but just mainly... Mainly just when the grandkids are there, right? Why do we do that? Because we want to be in their lives. We want to invest into them. We want to be a part of them. We want to know what they like to play. And we want to make sure that our lives are connected to the next generation and our family. We do the same thing in our church. Years ago, there was a couple, and I love this couple. They were a great couple. We were really good friends. And after church, many times, they told me um, what they didn't like. And a lot of times, uh, it was the music. It was too loud and all this stuff. Sometimes it was my sermon. That was more than sometimes. And um, 
uh, they, would, they were free. We had that relationship. They were free to tell me what they didn't like. And so one day when we were standing right by there by that exit sign, and uh, I was talking to them, and I was hearing the stuff, and, and, and here's what they said. Oh, man, I got to tell you. They were so excited. Our son and his daughter. Sorry. Our son and his wife and their children. Our son and his wife and their children. They found this church in, in South Carolina. It is amazing. It's an amazing church. They are so connected. They are fired up. They're going to church there, and it's so cool that our kids are involved. We couldn't be any more excited that our kids are involved in church. And I said, where is it? They told me. What's the name of it? They told me. And I thought, are you kidding me? That church, when you walk in, has earplugs before you go in the worship center. Message is a little watered down, if you ask me. We went there to study how to do multi-sites. But why were they excited about church? Because their kids were. We want a place where your kids are excited to come. I am wearied. I am wearied. I'm going to say it again. I am wearied by people who say, how do you get your teenagers to come to church? I just can't get my teenagers to come to church. My answer is short and unappreciated. You're the parent. Be the parent. Do the thing. Now, don't, don't, don't clap. We all got our challenges. My parents told me, the car's leaving in five minutes. Your rear end better be in the car. We have shared that with our kids. Now, that might, be, that might not even be socially acceptable. Today. I don't know. But Christian parents say, this is what we do. Right? This is what we do. We go to church together. We eat meals together without our phones. There are things that we do in our family. Other families may not do it. Other families may not like it. You may not even like it. But that's what we do. Don't we make our kids eat vegetables? I made, we made our son eat peas. I think he's still at the table. <laughs> Finishing his peas. Why did we do that? Because vegetables are good for you. And so when we know something good for our kids, even when they don't like it at the time, my mom and dad are both dead. I wish I could go back and say, thank you for making me get in the car and go to church. Thank you for having us set together as a family, although I wanted to be off on the other side. Thank you for building into me the things I really didn't want to do when I was young. But you know what? I'm over that. Here's the deal. I'm not worried about being a church where their parents drag the kids to church. Let's be a church where the kids drag the parents to church. All right? Let's do the things we have to do. That this is a place where a teenager can come and be accepted with all the stuff they're going through. Let this be a place where a young adult can come and get questions answered. Let this be a place where our young kids say, you know what, mom and dad, I don't know about you, 
I'll walk there if I need to. But I want to be a part of the friends that are there and what I'm going to learn and what I get to do and how I get to serve. If we don't do that, we might as well close up shop now because we won't have a church in 10 years. And we're wasting a lot of money and time and energy this next decade. Unity is always centered on Jesus. Look at verse 11. I love this verse. This might be my favorite verse in Scripture. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Now you would ask, why in the world would that be your favorite verse of Scripture? I love Chloe's people. I never met them. I don't know who they are. No one knows who they are. But Chloe's people cared so much about the church. They said there's an issue that we're going to deal with. There's an issue that we've got to talk about. There are issues in the church of Corinth. It is an absolute mess. And we're not going to go start another ministry. And we're not going to do something else over here. We're going to invest in the church. We're going to be part of the solution. We're going to be those who go see Paul and let Paul address these issues because we love the church of God too much just to sit there or leave or quit. Look what they did. They're over here in Corinth. Paul's over here in Ephesus. That's a long way on a boat. And yet they invested the time and they invested the money to go tell Paul, Paul, we got issues. They may have, I don't know, they may have taken the land route it's up in here, there's a map, and then down here. They may have taken that. I don't know why they took, but either way, it is a long way, a long time to travel, and yet they invested themselves into that. And too many people today say, oh, we got problems in the church, let's go start another ministry. We got problems in the church, let's go do this. We got problems in the church, let's go do this. Here's the second point. Second point is this. Growing believers don't just say, that's a problem, they become part of the solution. That's what Chloe's people did. That's why that's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. About a year ago, probably over a year ago, now about a year and a half ago, I was on vacation. And uh, we were driving somewhere, probably to honor out back and forth to Oklahoma. And, and uh, got on a news feed that this uh, well-known pastor, I mean, really well-known pastor and church that had been a cutting-edge, was a cutting-edge church. We'd gone to conferences there for years. He um, was accused of some sexual inappropriateness and, and heavy-handed leadership. And, um, you know, shocking. And it was in, like, the paper every day. I mean, like, the, the, the town where it happened, it was in the paper there every day. It was in the New York Times. I mean, this was a big deal. And it became, for those of us in the church world, like a case study. <laughs> How does this happen? So um, it was interesting to me. I don't know what the guy did or didn't do. But it was interesting to me that um, people would say, well, I saw some things. But, yeah, he was a founder of the church, and I didn't want to go talk to him. And, and I saw some things, but, yeah, I didn't want to talk to him. And some staff said, well, I approached some things, but that didn't work out well for us. And I thought, man, man, does, does any of that apply to the Bible chapel? 
I was just convicted. Is any of that applied to the Bible chapel? So came back and started talking to the staff, kind of getting the way they felt. Were we doing anything heavy-handed? Did it feel that way? We didn't want to. What corrections could we make? We're not there yet. Still working on stuff. That's why we started doing this. We started doing that with the staff as well. And we're doing it with you guys. That's why this is so important. We want to make sure we address the issues that need to be addressed, just like Chloe's people did. So make sure you fill this thing out. We need your input. We need your help. We've got to do this thing together. It's not about one person or one group of people. We have to do this together. See, Chloe's people got involved. They weren't, they, they weren't worried about the volume of music or they weren't worried about the color of the carpet or any of that stuff. They wanted to address real issues. Paul, there are divisions in our church. Paul, there's sexual immorality in our church. The pagans don't even approve of the, something going, stuff going on. People, Paul, people are showing up drunk for communion and getting drunk at communion. That's a problem. There are marriage issues. If, Paul, if, 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 if it was our world today, you know what? We would say, Paul, this digital world's killing us. The digital world is causing pornography to be pervasive among our youth and adults. Check this out. Barna Research says that today's teen regards not recycling as morally worse than viewing porn. You hear that? Not recycling is morally worse than viewing porn. And many talk about porn to their peers, Barna says, as natural and normal part of human sexuality. And here's what one writer says. Our house is engulfed in the flames of ubiquitous sexual content and we are using water pistols to fight the fire or worse. Those tasked with putting out the flames are playing with the fire themselves. See, growing believers don't just say, that's a problem. They say, I gotta be a part of the solution. So Paul says, I hear there's quarreling among you. Uh, that word quarreling in verse uh, 12 is an interesting one. Uh, in Galatians chapter five, verse 22, is the fruit of the Spirit, right? Paul says, here's the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what life looks like when, when, when the Spirit's at work. Not perfectly, but love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? But the but it's interesting, right before the fruit of the Spirit is a whole list of what's called the fruit of the flesh. Galatians 19, 5, 19 through 21. And that word quarreling is, is one of those uh, fruits of the flesh. Paul, so Paul's saying, guys, you're looking more like the world. You're believers, but you're looking more like the world then you're looking like the church. And Paul says, here's one thing you're doing that's killing you. You're playing the celebrity Christian game. Paul says, what I mean by this is one of you says, this is verse 12, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, that's the Aramaic name for Peter, or, or I follow Christ. 
So some of them are saying, um, eyes off Jesus and eyes on people. I follow Paul. Man, he's the real deal. Paul's a tent maker. He gets his hands dirty. He was there for 18 months with us uh, in Corinth. And he talks about grace. And, and, he, and he's just a cool guy making those tents with Aquila and Priscilla. He includes the Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. I really, I am of Paul. And others would say, no, 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 not Paul. Not Paul. Are you serious? 2 Corinthians 10.10, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. He doesn't even present himself well. I want someone who fills the room. I follow Apollos. Have you heard that guy speak? Man, he's from Alexandria, Egypt. We love his accent. And, and, And he's intellectual, and he's an eloquent speaker, and he is so competent in the Scripture. Check out his YouTube videos. Subscribe to his YouTube channel. He has more followers than PewDiePie and Dude Perfect. Anyone know who they are? Ask, ask your kids. Ask your kids. And Apollos, man, he uses impressive words. He's a wordsmith. Uses impressive words. Years ago. When I came, I was an associate pastor, and years ago, there was this guy that preached, and this is a long time ago, and um, there was a lady, and, and this guy loved to use big words. He couldn't help himself. He couldn't not use big words. And when he would preach, man, he'd have those big words. And there was a lady that came to me, and she said, oh, I love it when he preaches. I just love it when he preaches. I can't understand most of what he says, but I love it when he preaches. And this is going to be easy to preach here. Just string a few big words together and you got a sermon. Others said, I don't follow Paul. I don't follow Apollos. Forget those guys. I'm with Peter. Peter, Peter, man, he's Jewish. He's a pure bread. He is is from the traditional Jewish party. He leans a little little more legalistic. I follow Peter. And others say, you bunch of pagans. I follow Jesus. Let me spat out some memory verses to you if you don't believe me. I got this special rank and calling and giftedness and, and a special spirituality. The rest of you are little peons, but I follow Jesus. I have this special access to God, and I'm really better than the rest of you. We do the same thing today, don't we? Celebrity culture. We follow people rather than Jesus. When you talk to some people before they ever tell you they're a Christian, what do they say? I'm a Calvinist. I'm a five-point Calvinist. I'm an Arminian. I'm Reformed. I'm Dispensational. I'm Catholic. I'm Protestant. I'm Methodist. I'm Presbyterian. I'm Lutheran. I'm Charismatic. I'm Independent. I'm a young earth creationist. No, 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 no. I'm an old earth creationist. I'm a theistic evolutionist. I'm premillennial, postmillennial, all millennial. And some people say I'm just really confused by all that stuff. Where's Jesus in all that? Here's what Paul does. When Paul's readers read the next line in verse 13, they would say, Paul, don't talk like that. That's grotesque. Don't say that. And Paul says, you bet I'm going to say it because I'm going to make the point. Look at verse 13. Is Christ divided You know what that Greek word means? 
has the resurrected Christ been dismembered and his parts passed around to different people? Paul, don't talk like that. Paul says, exactly. No, he has not been dismembered. Was Paul crucified for you? Paul, are you serious? Don't even talk like that. Exactly. It's all about Jesus. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. Paul, don't talk like that. Exactly. It's all about Jesus. And then Paul says in the next verses, I thank God I didn't baptize many of you except for Crispus, the synagogue leader, Gaius, the guy that hosted me in Corinth, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize a household of Stephanus. Who were the, he was the first, that household was the first converts in the Corinth area. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. But here's, Paul said, here's the point. Christ didn't send me to baptize but he sent me to preach the gospel. And he sent me to preach the gospel with words, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You know what Paul says? Christ didn't send me to get in the way of the gospel. Christ didn't send me a messenger to be bigger than the message. It's all about Jesus. Last point, growing believers follow Jesus, not people. Growing believers follow Jesus, not celebrity Christians. Man, the digital age, while it has tremendous benefits, there's a danger because we can always access somebody, can't we? Somebody can always enamor us. And the danger is that we become followers of people rather than followers of Jesus. My question is, do you spend more time on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, reading books than you do in the Bible? One application as we, as we wrap up. One application. You got to be in the Word of God every day for yourself. Today, we have absolutely no excuse. You can read God's Word in all kinds of translations. God's Word is as close to you as a touch on your smartphone. If you are in a place where you can't read it, guess what you can do? You can listen to it. No excuse for not being in God's Word every day. And the only way, the only way we're going to keep ourselves from focusing on people and stuff around us is if we are in the Word of God every day. I had a guy sitting right there in the first service, and he came up and he said, please don't stop saying that. I blew you off for 10 years when you said that. But then, one day I listened, I started reading, and it's changed my life. We believe in getting in God's Word every day so much that we do daily devotionals. You can sign up for them. Come right to your inbox. All you got to do is touch the thing. 
Some of you travel, so we do those audibly so you can listen, listen to them because it's so important for us to get God's word to you. But guys, won't you agree with me? And no excuse not to be in God's word every day. Let me read you an email as I wrap up. Uh, I got this this past week and got permission to share it. It's from Jan Kachuriak. Jan, her husband, used to sit right in there uh, at our services. They came for a long time, long time members of the Bible Chapel, so appreciative of our partnership and ministry with them for many, many years. And a few years ago, they moved to be closer to family, uh, and uh, Jan just found out she has cancer. So she wrote me this email this week, and she just said, I just want to thank you, uh, the church, uh, for the Bible teachers that I have, that I have grown uh, knowing to know God's uh, truth and promises and attributes. And then she says, never knowing how essential it would be for me personally. I know that Tim, her son, talked to you about my diagnosis of having pancreatic cancer. Well, this journey has been an amazing time of recall, listen, recalling all I learned about the Lord everything he is and all of his promises. I had a choice I needed to make in the beginning, be bitter or better. I asked the Lord, how can you use me to make better a seemingly impossible, scary situation? The Lord has allowed me to have a new assignment to let his light shine through me as a cancer patient in a cancer center or wherever I go. Ron, there are uh, too many amazing stories to tell, but I don't know the end of this journey. But... He is still God of the meantime, doing miracles every day. Listen to this. I have found God to be so kind to me. I really see now, don't miss this part, I really see now the years of studying and growing in knowledge of his word is what leads me back to the one who will never leave me or forsake me. Let me just say that again. I really see now the years of studying and growing in knowledge of his word is what leads me back to the one who will never leave me, never forsake me. It's God's word that keeps our focus on Jesus. Father, drive that home. Don't let us be those who make excuses as parents, as your children. And Father, let the words of the song speak deeply to us about what we're really trying to build here on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen.